Dream catchers are ways to catch the illusions of the heart, the things that impede the heart. And dream catchers are here to undo our illusions. It's to unburden the heart. Undo the illusions of you so you can come back to the innocent heart, the innocent you. In the Upanishads, they say all fear is born of duality. So duality creates fear. And dream catchers are the idea of coming back to right view, which was the essential Buddhist teaching was the very first one was right view. And he talked about that because we see the world through illusions. And these dream catchers I'm going to talk about tonight are how to take off the veils of an illusion and see with right view. The Buddha liked talking about polarizations and pointing them out. As Kathy pointed out in the hindrances, we have this sleepy and agitated, liking, not liking. He also had a whole sutta called the Lokadama Sutta, where he talked about the eight opposites, pain and pleasure gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and ill will or ill repute. So he was really big on looking at the duality so we could get beyond them. And really the fear that comes from the dualities that the Upanishads talked about is like that clenched fist, where we clench around a belief we're tight and it's undoing that clenched fist into that openness and back to that innocence of who you are. That open hand, that open frame, that's what the dream catcher is. It's this open frame that catches the illusions. So we can be back to our natural state. We're trying to get unblended unblended from views. Ultimate right view is not blended with anything. So there's many, many dream catchers. There's endless dream catchers. And today I'm going to just talk about five. I won't go on for two hours. So you could see at the end of the talk what your own dream catchers are. But I'm going to talk about five, self and other, form and emptiness, time and timelessness, right and wrong, and samsara and suffering or nirvana and freedom. So the first one, self and other. Famous uh, Indian saint Ramana Maharshi, they said, somebody asked him, how do you treat others? And he replied, there are no others. There's just one heart. There's no container of me. And that's ultimately what we're doing here in the practice. We're getting rid of the container of you, which is an illusion. There's no you, period. And on retreat, we can be collecting retreats and experiences and insights, but there's not really a you doing that. 
Taoist philosopher who actually was an English guy that was um, early experiential theater man. His name was Wei Wu Wei. And he says this, why are you unhappy? Because 99.9% of everything you do and everything you think of is for yourself and there isn't one. (laughs) (laughs) So the I thought creates this false division, which then creates suffering. Like I said the first night, Byron Katie says, we only do three things in life. We sit, we stand, we lie horizontal. That's about it. Everything else is a story. So these young pictures of you that you have on the altar, you know, who is the you before someone taught you about me, taught you the I thought? for any division someone taught me to the idea of me to you and then it just takes off from there so feel the you prior to the i thought maybe in one of these pictures that's you Ajishaji says, the intimacy of your core gets sacrificed when you go up to your thoughts. So when we start living from that upper 10%, we really sacrifice the intimacy of our core. And you see that with children when they grow up and become mini managers of life. Something to remember about self and other and thoughts is, again, a thought isn't real. It's a sound in your head. That's all a thought is, is a sound in your head. There's nothing behind it, not even the me thought. And the beauty of that is there's a you that's not thought because you can recognize a thought. Whatever you is not thought can recognize a thought. And don't try to think too much about that. (laughs) Both Kathy and I had an experience of undoing the depression story. And I had pretty severe depression and it took many, many years. And as Kathy says, it's a long journey. But one day I saw that this huge thought train that had uh, captivated my life for 43 years. It, It just, the depressed train of thought just unhooked and there was nothing there. And I thought, well, I'll be damned. I spent my whole life depressed and there wasn't even any such thing as depression. And, um, The really neat thing was right after that, I saw, oh, well, the me thought is the same thing. (laughs) But it didn't really unhook yet then. (laughs) Me thought's very pervasive. But it was really nice to see that the me thought is just a series of things that hook together like, I'm a depressed person or I'm so sad. It's not any more powerful. And when there's no story of me, there's just direct access to life. 
So when that depression thought unhooked, I had much more direct access to life. And as the container of me wears away, there's more direct access to life, less living from my story, which is a lot more fun, I'll tell you that. And the Buddha's, for one of his most essential and simple suttas called the Bahia Sutta, supposedly people get, could get enlightened just hearing this tiny sutta, was he just would say, in the scene, there is just the scene. In the herd, there's just the herd. In the knowing, there's just the knowing. In the doing, there's just the doing. That's it. There's no me, I in there. So that's direct access, just direct access to experience. When you go out and see the mountains inside and you feel them inside and outside all at once, there's no self and other, direct access. And what happens more and more when we don't live from this top 10%, we're living, the heart has like strings of an instrument and things are just moving through the heart strings, almost like a lute or a guitar. And more and more when you see the mountains, they just quiver the strings of your heart. Or someone's suffering just quivers those strings or their joy. Like in Kathy's meditation today, you just feel that quivering directly in your heart and you experience everything directly from your heart and from your gut as well. Dogen says, let the heart go out and abide in things. Let things return and abide in your heart. So it's the sense of this continuous circle of things coming out and things coming in. And what we do on retreat that's really special is we're removing this prism of thinking and getting outside this dream catcher. We're, we're creating outside of this duality of this prism of thinking. So we can see from another perspective. We can get out of our conditioning that started with these pictures. We can just step outside and See how life is in and of itself, without all the stories, without the conditioning. On Maui, they um, show movies outside, and there's this one cinema that's right on the ocean in this huge grassy field. And while you're watching these great movies, and they're usually first-run movies, you can actually walk around the other side of this huge screen and see everyone looking at the movie and see the screen backwards and the movie backwards and all the people <laughs> looking at it. And then the ocean's in back of you and the stars are above. And it's just like, oh, it's just this movie. Everyone's watching it, but you're on the other side. <laughs> and the ocean's at your back. And it's just this fantastic experience of two different perspectives at once. Really takes you out of that me, and it's only one way. And one way of getting out of self and other is really looking at our roles. You know, mother, daughter, friend, Dharma teacher. There's, there's, that creates self and other too. 
This summer when I was teaching a retreat, a young man who's a dad and a published poet in Indiana, he wrote this on retreat. He said, every morning my son and I play a game. I say to him, I am your son. And he says, no, you're my papa. And just like that, we've made the world again. So all the ways that we make the world again. And that's okay, but know it. Your papa, your son, I'm father, friend, husband, wife. So the self and other is really probably the fiercest and most difficult dream catcher to work with. It's important because we can create a retreat self and we can become consumers of spirituality and we're not here for some spiritual cosmic cash register. (laughs) It could feel like that though, where's my insight? (laughs) As um, Kathy said the other day, my precious samadhi that Ruth used to break when she'd talk all the time, people would complain about their precious samadhi. So it's that cosmic cash register, and we're really here to end me. We're here to end me. Let's not make any mistakes here, okay? Ending me is the fiercest and most intimate thing you can do. And it might seem like fun at first, but it's not fun. (laughs) And I'll give you an example that's my favorite goddess right now. She's a Tibetan Buddhist goddess from ancient esoteric tantra, okay? And what she does as her teaching is she cuts off her head. And the blood from her cut-off head feeds her students. She's not about being comfortable. (laughs) She's not about being safe. She's raw. Now, I'm not going to do that, okay? (laughs) But it's it's somebody who's willing to go to any lengths to show you there's no self. When they asked her about self and herself, she just cuts off her head. That's her teaching. So it's fierce. It's really fierce. Whatever that metaphor means for you to cut off your head. And that doesn't look like having 12 Rolls Royces. (laughs) The Maharishi or no, it was Osho. So why can Chinamasta do something as drastic as cutting off her head as the teaching? Well, because she knows there's no self in other, and also she knows the second dream catcher, which is there's no form, and there's no formlessness. There's form and emptiness. The Heart Sutra reminds us in Zen, form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. And Tibetan teachers say all dharmas are marked with emptiness. They do not arise or disappear. 
They do not increase or decrease. Nothing happens, and yet everything is happening. As Ruth said, we heard last night, there's no silence, but everything is silent. And even science knows this. Einstein says it's all a big wave, just like the lake out there. It's a big wave. And they've been able to see with science as well that perception itself has 168,000 points of perspective at any moment. 168,000. So where's the room for you in there? There's no real perspective of you. It's 168,000 places. So consciousness is a fabric. It's a fabric that's constantly in a wave-like motion, breathing you and thinking you and everything with you. And the Buddha even talked about this kind of enigma of form and this wave and this constantly changing. His disciple asked him about himself and things that exist. And he said, all things exist. All things do not exist. All things both exist and do not exist. All things neither exist nor do not exist. <laughs> he was a really good philosopher, okay. you can tell. So that kind of basically negates everything you could say or not say. It's brilliant like that, isn't it? That's cutting off the head in a different way. But really what everyone's trying to do, whether it's Chinamasta cutting off her head or the Buddha saying these things that just confuse you, are it's trying to get you to stop. Stop. And then undo. Undo your thoughts, undo the me, undo the form, undo the self, until you come back to your primordial being, who you are before God. What's your innocent nature before the before? That's why these pictures are really great because you get to see that little kid in you before any accumulations. It's a reversal of yourself prior to being someone. Father Theophane, who is a Trappist monk who practiced Vipassana, I asked him for some stories for the Deepama book, and he gave me a bunch of them, and this was one of them. Uh, he unfortunately died before any of these could be published, so I kind of am the keeper of these stories. He said, what is your heart like? What a question. But that's what the monk asked me. I'll never forget it. That was so many years ago. Every day, what is this heart like? Who's in there? Who's not in there? Happy, content, 
self-pity, resentment, the sacred heart. And each person I meet, what is her heart like? His heart, the beauty, the sorrow. Every day I take care of my heart. I care about your heart. The beat of God, what must that be like? So returning to your sacred heart, to your beat of God, form and formless. The third dream catcher, time and timelessness. Henry Rollins, who you might know as a musician and a comedian, he said, there's no such thing as spare time. There's no such thing as free time. There's no such thing as downtime. All you got is lifetime, go. <laughs> All you got is lifetime, go. And again, science, Einstein, theory of relativity, shows that time is relative. You know what really strikes me as funny is 2018 years ago, Somebody just came up with this idea of a calendar and time. <laughs> and we are slaves to this person's idea, <laughs> whoever it was. You know, our whole lives are stressed out because of this thing that somebody created 2018 years ago. You know, a lot of Native cultures, they don't even have a word for time. Time's really something we came up with, and now we drive ourselves crazy with it. So it's important to remember that. And, you know, the schedule we've been following, Kathy and I just made it up a further retreat. There's nothing there. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Like, it always strikes me as funny that we all follow it. It's just an idea. <laughs> and yet we do. So just... You know, as part of this dream catcher, just to remind yourself, we make this up. Abraham Kawaii, a, a teacher in Hawaii who's deceased now, he said, the breath of existence is timeless, as is the wind of time. Nothing is permanent, thus providing the opportunity for change and adjustment really nice way of looking at impermanence. Oh, okay, I can change and adjust things. And he also was in connection with this, what he called the grandmother before the winds of time. And it really makes you wonder, like, what's that? Grandmother before the winds of time. So there's a space between time, there's a space between thoughts, there's a space between emotions. Find out more about that. And you can live more in that. I find more and more my day I live in that fluidity between things. This space between thoughts, emotions, doing. It's a much easier way to do your day. It's kind of like being with the space in the room versus all the objects in here. There's a flow of that space between time and the timeless. And I hope you get curious about it. This is a saying I really love from my teacher, Ajashanti. He says, we are the still point of eternity. 
functioning in the world of time. So it's so beautiful. We're, we're a still point of eternity. You can find it in your gut. And yet we are functioning as bodies in the world of time. So it's this beautiful duality and perfect dream catcher that you can hold. How do we embody the still point of eternity forever? Meanwhile, moving this body about time and as it ages and decomposes and does all kinds of things. It's fascinating koan or kind of question. We are the still point of eternity functioning in the world of time. And the beautiful thing is this time and timelessness, this eternity and our humanness, they're like two sides of a hand. They need each other. And we're constantly feeling our divine nature, our eternal nature, our innocence, and then the parts of us that are time-bound and caught in these dualities. And they can both be true, and you could just let them both be like you just let your hand be. They both work together. The fourth dream catcher is the dualities of right and wrong, yes and no, and we've talked a lot about that, so I won't talk much. But this constant yes and no that the mind's saying, back and forth, the evaluation, we're always evaluating things, ourselves in particular. <laughs> oh my God, we evaluate ourselves. One of my teachers, Aisha Salem, she says, there is no wrong button on the universal dashboard. <laughs> no wrong button. You know, and wars start with this small distinction of yes, no, <coughs> right, wrong, right? It's, the wars start with we get this little belief and opinion, right? And then we take a position and then we start to get mad about our position, and then we start a war about it. And it all comes from this duality of right and wrong. Rumi has a wonderful poem that you've probably heard from Open Secret. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there where the soul lies down in that grass and the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. That's a beautiful poem about all these dream catchers. No self, no other. No right, no wrong. And the last dream catcher, suffering and freedom, samsara and nirvana. In Zen, Zen love these dream catchers, so they have all these little saints for all of them. Zen say samsara is nirvana and nirvana is samsara. Same, same. 
the Tibetans say samsara is mere thought. When free of that, you are perfectly free. So what does this mean, samsara is nirvana, nirvana is samsara? What is this dream catcher? So samsara is what clenches our heart. What clenches us. And just paying attention. If we're already free, where's the clench? I have this cartoon of a person that's holding the bars of their jail cell and just like trapped and looking out. And behind them, the cell is completely open. <laughs> that's us in our minds, right? Get me out of here. I can't stand another minute of my mind. As Byron Katie said, the only suffering that ever happens is a thought. Powerful statement. I was reading a study the other day about shyness research, and they showed that people that are really anxious and shy, they create like a virtual prison in their own mind and then get trapped by this thought prison. Mm -hmm. And part of helping them is getting them out of the, the prison they created. Keeping, getting them out of that top 10% of their head. Undoing this story. Undoing the dream catcher. And it's amazing what's really great about going down into your body. Like science really supports this now. They know that there's a hundred million functioning neurons in your gut neurons functioning neurons so your gut has an intelligence it controls your sleep rhythms it is the treatment for anxiety and depression now they're using gut things gut health treatments probiotics of all different kinds all the psychiatrists are really into this now because there's a hundred million neurons in there so there's something to work with when your gut's right, depression and anxiety shift and change. So getting beyond samsara and freedom. There was a female disciple, the chief female disciple of the Buddha. Yes, there was a female disciple of the Buddha. Her name was Upala Banyana. And when she woke up, she was being challenged by Mara, or this, quote-unquote, the Buddhist version of the devil, right? And she said to him when she woke up, I can make myself disappear, or I can enter into your belly. I can stand between your eyebrows. You won't catch a glimpse of me. I am the master of my own mind. The bases of power are well-developed. I am free from every kind of bondage. Therefore, I don't fear you, friend. What I think is really beautiful about that, here this thing that challenged her core, her enlightenment, threatened her. She says, I don't fear you, friend. She can enter his belly. So she's transcended this idea of freedom, her precious samadhi. She knows who she is. She's cut off her head. She's not afraid. 
And what we're doing in this practice and these retreats, it's not just what we're trying to be free from, it's what we're trying to be free to. So when you're free from these dualities, when you can catch these dreams of these dualities, you can live all of you. You can have an unburdened heart. And an unburdened heart is free. Free of the story of you. Inside, out. Free of self and other. Free of time and timelessness. Free of form and formlessness. Free of right and wrong. Free. 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 Free to be you. Whatever that might be. And each one of us has a spiritual note to play in the song of life. Again, from Ajashanti, awareness is hard to describe because it's in and of itself. It's not an experience. It's what all experiences occur within. But awareness isn't just like a big container in which all things arise. It's also what's inside of every experiencing experience. It's witnessing from inside, from outside, from everywhere. It permeates every experience. Awareness is the common thread that links all experiences together. And awareness itself is benevolent. There's an affection to it. So we're coming back. We're free to experience this affectionate awareness as ourselves in everything. And just in closing, remember, your life is the retreat. This is just a location we've been practicing. And don't make truth just your hobby. Truth, spirituality is not a hobby. Chinamista cut off her head. That's not a hobby. Commit to all of you being and knowing who you are. And then ending that. There's an author and mother who wrote about this not a hobby, this love, not a hobby. She said, today I will choose love. Tomorrow I will choose love. And the day after that, I will choose love. If I mistakenly choose distraction, perfection, negativity over love, I will not wallow in regret. I will choose love until it becomes who I am. I will choose love until it becomes who I am. That's what we're doing here. And you know, we try to love well the best we can. And sometimes that means imperfectly. In a book, Letters to God, one little young boy wrote, 
Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. Love, Frank. <laughs> so on this long journey, we wear out our loyalty to everything else but love. We wear out our loyalty to wanting things, to success, to whatever you name it, internet shopping, I don't know. You wear out your loyalty to everything else but love. And choose love every day, like Rachel Stafford said. And what appears to be a journey of retreats and lost and found and enlightenment and non-enlightenment is just one giant circle where we return to the beginning, like T.S. Eliot talks about. We go on this great journey only to find ourselves back at the beginning and we're like, what? But the final dream catcher is there are no dream catchers. (laughs) There are no dream catchers. There's no journey. There's no retreat. There's no whatever. But there is. There's this connectivity we have. There's the sacred heart. And you're it. You're it. So let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.